Welcome to Talks at Advent, homilies and reflections given at the Church of the Advent, a Western Rite Orthodox mission in Atlanta, Georgia. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, God is one. Amen. The beginning of miracles did Jesus in Cana of Galilee and manifested forth his glory. This is how the gospel account this morning concludes in St. John's own words. This uh, miracle in Cana manifested forth the glory of Jesus. On the Feast of the Epiphany, the birth of God into the world, which was witnessed by Mary and Joseph and only a handful of other Jewish peasants in the vicinity, was manifested to a wider audience when an extravagantly trimmed caravan of Eastern Magi ostentatiously made their way into the tiny little town of Bethlehem and paid homage to the small child Jesus. Attention had been drawn to him now, and his special and unique character was now known to a wider circle. The next event on the church calendar that we celebrate after that is when Jesus, after living quietly well into his adult life, finally approached one of the most conspicuous figures in Palestine at that point, John the Baptist, and allowed John to loudly draw attention to him. Behold, the Lamb of God. And then he entered into the Jordan in the sight of everybody to be baptized by John. And when he came up out of the water, the voice of the Father thundered for all to hear. This is my beloved Son. Now, these two events the visitation of the Magi and the baptism in the Jordan are both linked to this miracle at Cana in that they all manifest forth the glory of Jesus. That's what the season of Epiphany is all about, the revelation to the wider world of who Jesus is. He's the king who other kings pay homage to. He's the son of the Father, God in heaven, uh, who God the Spirit is also unified with. You know, the Spirit descends on him in the form of a dove and remains with him. And he is the Savior who enters into our realm of problems and pain and rescues us. Now, this threefold revelation of God as, of Jesus as King, as God, and as Savior slash sacrifice uh, all of these things were actually manifested in the gifts of the Magi on that very first day of the Epiphany season, the Feast of Epiphany. And I think in the West, maybe that's why the West chose, as opposed to the East, which uh, highlights the baptism of Jesus on the Feast of Epiphany, the West chose the visitation of the Magi, I think because there's this special threefold nature to the Epiphany of Jesus as King, God, and Savior, that is perfectly summed up in the visitation of the Magi in the gifts that they bring. What gifts do they bring? They bring gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, gold is fit for a king, as all of our hymnology declares. And so the kingship of Christ is shown forth in that gift. Frankincense, or incense, is what you offer to a god. And so the divinity of Jesus is shown forth in the gift of frankincense. And then myrrh is a spice used in embalmings and burials. And so that showed forth his eventual sacrifice, which highlights him as the Savior. So right there in the Feast of Epiphany, we have a hint of what we're going to be uh, celebrating for the next several weeks. So 
as the king, of course, this is the first um, part of Jesus that's manifested in Epiphany, and the king is uh, really highlighted when the three kings, the Magi, come and worship him. Jesus is revealed as the king of not just the Jews, but of all creation, right? Because it wasn't just to the Jews that he's manifested. Now, these Easterners, who are definitely not of the kingdom of Israel or Judah, are coming and paying homage to him. And this uh, prefigures the eventual realization that he is not just king of Jews, but the king of all the world. And as king, it means that he has the authority to rule, to govern, and order things. It means we owe him our obedience, that we bow our knee to him like the Magi did, acknowledging him to be our ruler. And he finishes this, um, this journey that he begins at Christmas in the Feast of Ascension. Actually, he begins the journey in the Feast of the Annunciation when he enters the womb of the Virgin Mary. Uh, but he isn't uh, shown. We don't see his flesh until Christmas. And then in the ascension, we no longer see his flesh because he is hidden by clouds, the clouds of glory, and enters into uh, the heavenly kingdom and sits at the right hand of the Father, taking his throne as the rightful place as the king of all of creation. So that's the first aspect that we see of Jesus in Epiphany. The second is that he is divine. He's God. This is not what people were expecting from uh, the eventual king of the Jews and king of all creation. In the Old Testament, there were, there were hints and, and, and descriptions of this eventually messianic king of the Jews becoming essentially an emperor of all the nations. The Hebrews expected that. What they didn't expect was that in this figure, God himself, the divine, would be in the flesh in this figure. But that's exactly what the baptism of Christ reveals. When he enters into the water and comes up, God himself, Yahweh, the God of Israel, declares from heaven in a thunderous voice, this is my beloved son, in him I am well pleased. And then the Spirit of God, the Spirit that hovered over the waters of the primordial creation, bestowing life and energy into it, that same Spirit now hovers down in the form of a dove and rests in Jesus. Now, there's so much theology about the sanctification of creation when Jesus enters into the water. Did Jesus need to be baptized? No, John knew that. He said, I need to be baptized by you. But Jesus said, do this because it's fitting. Why was it fitting? so that he could enter into not just our flesh, but the primordial elements of all creation and sanctify it. When Jesus goes into the river, it's not for him to be sanctified, it's for him to sanctify the waters and through those waters flowing out into the rest of the world, all of creation. And so we see that God is Jesus. Jesus is God, the divine. This theophany, uh, the revelation of the divine is uh, what the East calls this feast sometimes. This is the second aspect of the revelation of who Jesus is. But today we reach our third main aspect, which is that Jesus is our Savior. We were in a predicament from old times. Our 
uh, particular predicament originated when we chose ourselves over God. And Jesus reverses that by offering himself. See, every miracle and movement of his ministry was a self-offering, offering himself to us and to his Father through perfect submission to his will. Even this beginning of his ministry was a submission to the request of his mother. Though his hour, you know, the time um, for him to be the ultimate sacrifice had not quite come yet, he nevertheless deigned to foreshow it. Water and wine would flow from his side in that hour to reveal his humility. But here, in this hour, water and wine reveal his power. In that final hour, his mother would be grieving, but here, he gives her joy. In that final hour, he would become the bridegroom, leaving his father in heaven and his mother on earth. Remember in Genesis, God says, you will leave your father and your mother and be joined to your bride. And what bride is Jesus joined to in that hour on the cross? His bride, the church. To be made one flesh with her, the church. But here in this hour, he blesses the picture of that ultimate reality by blessing the bride and the groom in Cana. He will become the savior of the world at his crucifixion and resurrection, but today he's the savior of the wedding feast. He begins showing himself as the savior, manifesting forth his glory by prefiguring his humiliation. Now, what, what is this mystery? His ultimate humiliation is the direction he's headed, but in prefiguring that, he's actually revealing his glory. And that's because ultimately, his humiliation will be revealed to be his glory. Again, that humiliation is what we were lacking in the garden when humanity stole from God. Now in perfecting that humiliation as one of us, Jesus saves and restores us, restoring our nature, lifting it even higher than it ever was before. And when he ascended to the Father to take his rightful place as our king, he didn't leave us alone but he sent the Holy Spirit to give his life to his church. And he left us a foretaste of that final wedding feast with him in the sacrament of his altar, where he remains truly present to us in the flesh, just like he was present to the Magi when they bent their knees to him. He is present now to us in this hour. Just like he was present to the hands of John lowering his body into the water, he's present now to the hands of the priest who will actually handle him. And just like he was present to the wedding guests in Cana when they ate and drank and danced with him, he's present to us as we eat him. He is present to us now, making that central hour of his death on the cross present in this hour making that future eschatological hour in the kingdom of God present in this hour. Even today, like on that day in Cana, he commands us to bear the gifts to the governor of the feast. And when the governor of the feast tastes that miraculous wine, he will call us all together and say, truly, God has given us the best wine now in this hour. And we will see him 
manifested forth in his glory because of this. And as his disciples did in Cana on that day, we, his disciples today, will also believe in him. This is the third of the aspects of his revelation, that he is King, God, and today our Savior, offering to us in this wedding feast the miraculous wine, which is himself, showing us that it's humility which becomes glory. It's this pattern that he offers to us to follow. In fact, he offers us to follow in all of his aspects, becoming kings of creation under him, little sub-kings ruling uh, the way we were supposed to in the garden, becoming divine like he's divine because he offers himself to us. It's through him that we become deified. And we also can become the sacrifice that he is, making offerings of ourselves, following after him, and becoming like him in that aspect too. When Jesus took on flesh, all of these aspects, king, God, and sacrifice, were made available to us to follow in. And that's what's on offer for us today. So in this wedding feast, when we partake of him, we are partaking of his very life so that we can become like Jesus, manifesting forth his glory. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, God is one. Amen. Talks at Advent. Homilies and reflections given at the Church of the Advent, a Western Rite Orthodox mission in Atlanta, Georgia.